Thanks be to God, and thank you, Alex. Good morning, everyone. Those who don't know me, my name is Stuart Sadler. And those that do know me, my name is also Stuart Sadler. <laughs> I always think that's a very odd phrase in English. So I'm a minister here in um, Holy Trinity's Claygate, and I love being a minister. But I'm also, I, get a, I have a day job as well, Monday to Friday, where I work in business in, uh, for a technology company. That will become relevant later on. I hope that you're really enjoying this series we're doing on the Acts of the Apostles. I think it's an amazing book. It's in a book, it's an adventure story where the church is trying to discover what does it mean to be a Christian within a society where they are a minority in a changing world. Um, and it's got so much to teach us. Uh, recently, we've been looking in the last couple of weeks at two attacks by the devil. Last week, uh, we looked at how this embryonic church was first persecuted, where the apostles were arrested for speaking out the gospel. And they, but they just couldn't help it. They couldn't help but speak of this living Jesus. Two weeks ago, we looked at that rather disturbing passage when Aeneas and his wife, Sapphira, together sinned against God by lying to the apostles about holding back some of the money for themselves. Now this week, we get to a passage that it would actually be quite easy to skip over, thinking that this is just an issue that's so specific to that particular time in the early church, with these issues between the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. Was it simply a teething issue for this early church of historical interest, but little else? I don't think so. As I look deeper and deeper at these seven verses in the last few days, I think so much of Scripture has actually got so much to teach us. And this passage is, is no exception. Stuff to teach us as a whole church, but also as individuals too. In looking what we can learn from this passage, I think there are two main learnings that I will pull out. So what is going on in this passage? Well, the presenting problem is that we've got one group of these new believers who are unhappy with another. Ever heard of that problem in a church that you've been to? The Hellenistic Jews are complaining about how their widows are being treated compared to the widows of the Hebraic Jews. Now, the first thing to see here is that all of them wanted the right thing. They all wanted to care for the, right, for the widows, those people in real need in that society. Now, God's people have always, throughout the Old Testament and now in the New Testament, been encouraged, even commanded, to care for widows. And this time in the first century is no exception. So who are these two groups? Well, the Hebraic Jews were those that had always lived in Israel, and they spoke Aramaic, Jesus' mother tongue. Now, Hebraic Jewish men would also have probably spoken Greek too, because that was the lingua franca of the time. Greek was the most common spoken language across the whole of the Mediterranean. And to even trade, Hebraic men would have needed to speak Greek, but not the women. They would most likely have only spoken Aramaic. And the other group, the Hellenistic Jews, well, they were those whose ancestors would have first of all been in Israel. 
but over the centuries through various attacks on Israel, being pushed out in exile and dispersed across the known world. And these would have settled and assimilated into non-Jewish communities. And now, and now, like those people around them, Greek would have been their mother tongue. But it was also far, far deeper than just a matter of language. Although both would have read and spoken Hebrew, the language of the Old Testament, of course, and of prayer and of worship in the synagogues. The Hellenistic Jews would also have assimilated much of the culture of the Greek world, while the Hebraic Jews remained steeped in Palestinian culture. In addition, the problem for the Hellenistic Jews, uh, Jewish widows, would have been probably far worse. As Jews, they longed to die and be buried so close to the temple in Jerusalem. So many women would have traveled back to Jerusalem to live out their last few years in Israel, close to the temple. And even if you go to Israel now, you still see graves up the Mount of Olive where Jews still today would love to be buried near to the temple. Just like, but at that time, just like all parts of society, many people were being attracted to this new way, the way of Christ. And that, of course, included these widows too. And so we had um, Hellenistic uh, widows coming and being part of this new community. And the Jewish, their few Jewish relatives in the area may not have been quite as forthcoming as they were now following a different faith. So this is the presenting problem. Somehow these Hellenistic Greek-cultured widows were being overlooked. Now, there's no sign that this was a deliberate action. And we shouldn't assume malice here. We can see this confirmed by the effort that the disciples go to to correct this problem. And also, they see that this presenting problem isn't the root of the problem. The problem is one of administration, not bias. Maybe the number of Hellenistic Jews and Hellenistic widows were growing too fast to keep up with. The first thing that they do is they call all the disciples together. All should be included. Although we've just been looking at the presenting problem, the apostles hit the nail on the head over, over the real issue when they say, it is not right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Already the church is starting to work out that it will only work if each believer does what they are called to do. It would be a while, in fact, several years, before Paul would write to the Corinthians with these words. There is one body, but it has many parts. But all its many parts make up one body. It is the same with Christ. So the body is not made up of just one part. It has many parts. Listen, Claygate, to these words. You are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. Without knowing it, these apostles were understanding in that very early stage of the church, of the growth of the church, this fact. We are all part of this body of Christ, the church, and we all have a different purpose. In this very early days, the Holy Spirit was already teaching the apostles this. They knew that they had been called to teach about Jesus. 
However, they knew too that the widows needed their food and needed to be looked after. Another part of the body of the Christ was needed. Through prayer, they resolved to appoint seven new leaders with a new ministry to make sure that social care was not neglected. Key here, and please don't let this go amiss, was that these men had two key attributes. And the first and foremost was that they were known to be full of the Spirit, and then too, and wisdom. And this is our first two learnings this morning. No job in God's kingdom is a non-spiritual job. The first requirement for these seven is that they were full of the Spirit, even though this was an administrative managerial job. We are one body, unified by the Spirit. We are one body with one Spirit. Whatever the second requirement is for us to do, what God calls us to do, whether that's welcoming people here or doing the AV or playing an instrument or speaking up front or um, I've got right in here placing these lovely flowers, but the flowers are looking a bit wilted today, actually. Um, whatever it is we do, we're called by God. And actually, this, God's kingdom goes way beyond this building and beyond Sunday morning. So if you are his, then whatever we do Monday to Saturday is also first and foremost a spiritual job. Whatever second gift he has given you, you are his first and foremost. And what everything he asks you to do is spiritual. And as you practice that second item, God longs for you to know that you are his and he is with you. Whether that is caring for a child or a frail friend or building a bridge or teaching a class or being taught in a class or being in a hospital or updating a spreadsheet or serving in a shop or just being at home with family or without family, First and foremost, everything you do is spiritual. For those of us that are known as his, there is no difference between spiritual and secular. It is all spiritual. Whatever you are doing tomorrow, absolutely whatever it is, God is passionate about you knowing that he is fascinated about that time you are with him. For me, I was called nearly 10 years ago now to become a priest and I love to preach and teach about Jesus. I don't know whether that comes over. Um, to explore scripture with you and to share it with you. I love to pray and come alongside my family of believers here in Claygate, each of you, as we walk together through life's highs and lows. But also God made me good at technology. He made me good at understanding how technology can solve real world problems in business. And I love that part of me, that gift that God has given me. I love working with others to bring about technology answers to business problems. And whilst doing that, I love getting to know the people I'm working with, whether they share my faith or have another faith or have none. They are all precious and loved and known by God. For me, I am a priest seven days a week and a technologist five days a week. So back to our passage. Here these seven people, filled with the Holy Spirit, were chosen first because they were Spirit-filled. And secondly, 
they had this wisdom to carry out fairly and justly the distribution of food to the needy amongst them. The apostles cared. That's why they appointed these seven, because they knew that they had different callings. So let's move on to my second main learning from this passage that I believe we can grow so, so much from. I don't know whether you noticed um, when Alex read out the names of the seven. Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas. Scholars teach us that all of these names are Greek-based, not Hebrew. They chose Hellenic Jews from the Greek culture to be the answer to the problem. It would have been so easy just to choose those that they knew from their own culture. This shows such wisdom from the apostles prompted by the Holy Spirit. And I think this is a beautiful solution that can only have come from divine guidance. Here we have two cultures, and so far all the leaders were Hebraic, all the apostles. But now with such wisdom, this new culture these Hellenistic culture believers who too had been called to follow the risen Christ just as much as the Hebrew cultured believers. These believers were being truly accepted so that what could have remained as two groups became one. This acceptance is unquestioned in this act of making these seven Hellenic, Hellen, Hellenistic, spirit-filled wise men the answer to the problem. Now, with this decision, this community is now led by those from both of these cultures and make up this new community, the Church of Jesus. God sees each as special and equal. So much we can learn from here. As I dwelt on this, as I was preparing this talk, I was really struck by this. Here in this amazing community, they were struggling to work out what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. Here recorded in these early chapters of Luke's book of Acts, we see another principle that wouldn't be put into words for many years, again by Paul to his letter to the Galatians. And you know this verse so well. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all in Christ Jesus. Here, years before Paul would write these orders, already, through the Holy Spirit, this early church is embracing these people for their difference. Embracing, encouraging, recognising difference and celebrating it. Trusting it as each is placed in their key leadership roles. It struck me that if all things we do as Christians are spiritual, my first point today, then where am I as I do my church work or my paid work? Do I have this degree of openness that they had to what others bring who are different to me? Or do I look maybe for the easy answer to work with people like myself rather than look to learn from others who God has blessed with different experiences and different backgrounds than myself? Do I allow my own bias to grow or am I open to expand my eyes across the broad spectrum of God's amazing creation of all humankind. Now, diversity training is quite rightly very much a hot topic in many organisations, including the church right now. However, it did strike me that here in the first century, in Acts 6, we see this new organisation 
accepting and embracing diversity for real. Although the church hasn't always been great at following this teaching over the last 20 centuries, Lord, I pray that we can be as open to your amazing diversity of humanity as those apostles were on that day in the first century, remembering that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for we are all in Christ Jesus. For those, those are my two points in this sermon. First, we are called in that same spirit way to do different jobs in his kingdom. Whether it's in this building or elsewhere, all callings are special. All are precious to God. And secondly, that all our differences should be welcomed and embraced across the church, across our brothers and sisters. We saw this last week at both the 9.30 service and at this service, when wasn't it wonderful to welcome Peter, Cecil and Nabila, believers from the church in Pakistan, who culturally are so different to us here in Surrey, and yet within minutes we connected, seeing the same spirit in each other. And I, for one, loved learning from them of their experiences of God's mission in that beautiful part of the world. And that's what we see back in our passage as the people gathered together. It says in verse 5, this proposal pleased the whole group. There is joy and unity across this whole group. This caring, early, spirit-filled church rejoices as they are empowered by all the Holy Spirit is teaching them. The church grew stronger, empowered by these three attacks, persecution, corruption, and now this distraction for the apostles. And now we see the apostles can teach and pray, and these seven can make sure the community is cared for. And then we see again this beautiful growth as recorded in verse seven, the last verse we heard this morning. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. We see the church grew through this new learning, this new focused body parts of the church, carrying out their own synergistic ministries, people being attracted by teaching and prayer, and equally important, seeing how this community cares for those who need help. This is just as much a witness of God's love as we love each other. And this continues to this day, as each of us is called to carry out our spiritual calling wherever he has placed us. As we go from this place, I pray that you embrace your ministry. Enjoy the honour of this calling to be the men and women that he has made us. And know, friends, that the Holy Spirit goes before you. Amen.